0: Lord, we trust that you are here today with us. We trust that your spirit moves among us. Help us to receive this good word from you. Help me to speak faithfully um, and to relax into what you've given me to say. And trust that it is enough. In Christ's name, amen. All right. So last week, uh, Josh talked about Ephesians 1. And I think in some ways it's his enthusiasm, part of what he was trying to grab hold of is how kind of over-the-top Ephesians is. That there's this mystery, this big picture in Ephesians of what God has done in Christ. And you could kind of hear in Josh last week, I think if you were here, how much he was trying to say, how do I express that? How do I say that? How do we grab hold of that. So uh, we're going to look at Ephesians 2 today, um, and we're not going to look at all of Ephesians 2. It's still a big chunk of scripture, and I have to say, I have this bias of like little itty bitty chunks of scripture. Um, I'm not used to these big chunks, but we're going to do our best today to listen to what God has to say to us in Ephesians 2. But as I read Ephesians 2, um, I wanted to suggest that I have a tendency to do something that I think is also true of mountainside, which is to read scripture and say, at certain points, yeah, but. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't really understand the kind of person that I am. Yeah, but you don't really understand the kinds of things I'm facing. Yeah, but you don't know how bad it is out there. So I think sometimes Mountainside is a yeah, but church because we're really good at seeing those things that are not as they should be. We are a church that is bothered by our own infidelity to God, to neighbor. We are a church that wants and longs to be compassionate. I think as individuals, by and large, we are people who also struggle with the yeah buts in our individual lives. Ways we're not the friend, the lover, the spouse, the parent, the worker, the success that we want to be. We're yeah but people. So I want to read through a part of Ephesians 2, and then I'm going to give you an image. It's a bit of a goofy image in some ways, if you've done it or had to do it at your business. Um, You'll know why. Uh, Some of you are going to laugh and scoff, as did I, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, And we're going to read through this part of Ephesians, um, and then I'm going to ask for uh, some people to help us with, I think, if you don't take anything else away, I'm going to give you an image of what I think God is inviting us as individuals and as mountainside to do in Ephesians 2. So... Then the other way okay um, so what I want you to do as I read through this I'm gonna break you up really quickly into groups but one thing I want you to pay attention to is the verbs and who is acting okay what are the verbs? and who's acting, and also, uh, so Paul, part of what Josh was struggling with is Ephesians just like, is a tumble of images and metaphors, right? It's kind of this like explosion of Paul trying to explain what's going on. So pay attention to those, and if you will, listen if there's one or two of them that God's giving you to take away as well today. So listen for the verbs, and listen, uh, watch for those images. So, At one time, you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. You used to live like a people of this world. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong. He did this because of his great love that he has for us. Upside, oh. That would be why I'm going forward and backward. There we go. Oh, now I'm going, okay, yeah. I'm catching on, Anthony, slowly. (laughs) You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment. That word there, by the way, can also mean God's art piece. It can be accomplishment in lots of ways, but it's like a created thing. Created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. So remember, uh, so let's just, uh, since this isn't all on one sheet. So have you noticed anything so far? Past tense. Past tense. What, are, what are all past tense? Uh, So, God, what's God doing that's present tense? Well... What's the present tense part? God saves. God uh, You are saved. It's an action that happened in the past, but it's continuing into the present. Okay, so who's done the acting here? God. God does the acting. What has God done? What are the things you remember just from what we read or what you see? What has God done? Brought us, brought us to life. So what's the a main image in this part of Ephesians? You were dead. You know, it's always I, I always want to go Monty Python on that, but I'll, I'll hold off, Right? <laughs> dead. You were dead. You had this other way of living. You were dead in your trespasses or dead in your sin. But what happened? If you have your whole Bible, it's a little more evident. But God has acted in what way? What's been God's big main thing that God has done? What's made all of this new life possible? Why are we now alive? Yes, salvation, it's a gift given And in what way? Who's the key element here? Jesus. Jesus! It's like Sunday school. Yeah. Right, so this is, and if you were to read all of this part of Ephesians, right, this is just a a portion of this first part. Jesus is central. Jesus has, this was what Josh was trying to grasp at last week, right? God has done this amazing thing in Jesus. In Christ, in coming into the world, Jesus overcomes, overthrows every destructive power. He's now been risen. He's reigning over every dominion. Now, here's where I think, I can see it in your faces, mountainside. Yeah, but. Right? Well, yeah, but, you know, those powers, they're really still called none. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was, right? I read the paper. I watch my Facebook feed. It's a yeah, but. Paul is not giving us a yeah, but. In Ephesians, Paul is saying God has acted and everything is different. You are different. You are no longer enslaved to those things that maybe you are ashamed of. Maybe you still are tied to your past, but that is not what you have in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul goes on, and he says, so remember that once you were Gentiles by physical descent, who were called uncircumcised by Jews who were physically circumcised. So here he's, um, this is kind of funny in the translation, right, because it's, they're sort of like, Paul says, you're called uncircumcised, and you're called circumcised. He's sort of playing with um, perception. Like, it's easy to perceive some people as really religious and good, but they're not. And then other people as religious and good, but they're really not. So he kind of does the, this thing um, that we do with our fingers, right? He's uh, making this note. You were aliens rather than citizens of Israel and strangers to the covenants of God's promise. In this world, you had no hope and no God. So pre-Jesus, how are things looking? Bleak. Bleak. But here's something to remember. Do they know that it's bleak necessarily before Jesus comes along? Do they think, ah, I'm dead? They may not have known they're dead. Paul's re narrating their past to say that is how it used to be, that is who you were, but that's not how it is anymore. You were aliens rather than citizens of Israel and strangers to the covenants of God's promise. In this world, you had no hope and no God, but now thanks to Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near in the blood of Christ. Here's this lovely, right, this is part of Ephesians that we hear all, all over, right? Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the details, rules of the law, So that he could create one person out of two groups making peace how many groups are there in the world according to paul two but then jesus came and then what happened one we're going to talk about that not the way we really think about the world He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. When he came, he announced the good news of peace to those who were far away and those who were near. We both have access to the Father through Christ. Like, this is the part that Josh was like, right, there's so much. It's like this explosion of, so you're no longer strangers and aliens, rather you're fellow citizens of God's people. You belong to God's household. As God's household, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone The whole building is joined together in him and it grows into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. I think there's only one time in this whole chapter that there's a verb that is not about God. What is it? Remember, it's the only verb in all of Ephesians. Our task is to remember, re-put-together, re-story. That's the only thing we do in this explosion of metaphor and image in Ephesians 2. So, I'm gonna ask for some volunteers who are arranged beforehand, to uh, do something I admit is kind of geeky. How many of you have done a trust fall at some point in your past? Raise your hand high. Come on, proud. Okay. Now honestly, I've actually never done a trust fall, but I'm trusting that it works well. So now, before we do this, so a trust fall, basically these are one of these trust building exercises. Now. Zeke, hold on, tell me, Zeke, you're going to be interviewed here before you uh, fall. So, how you feeling? Good. So, let's say you were this tall, and, and, and your dad's size, and you're standing up here, how might you be feeling? Mm, not that good. Not that good, why? Because I'd be too big. Because you're afraid you'd be too big. Because yeah. he's afraid, right? He's afraid it's overwhelming. Why? Because these are kind of wimpy guys you have know, behind <laughs> you, right? <laughs> but you know you know that they're 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 good guys, right? They're gonna they're gonna do their best to yeah. catch you, right? Yeah. yeah. Which direction is Zeke facing? Yeah. That direction. So can he see the people behind him? No. So one of the big things about a trust fall is you can't see you are trusting that they're there and they're not gonna do the thing, right? But it might look kinda bad as Zeke looks out this way. I think sometimes mountainside is Zeke looking out into the world and thinking, man, it is ugly out there. Or we're looking around our own lives, at our relationships, maybe the mess we made, of our job, maybe the mess we made of our friendships, maybe the mess we made of any number of things, or the messes that have been dumped on us and thinking this is bad. But Ephesians is saying ah, but God has done something. So, ready? Mountainside. Fall back. That's your cue, (laughs) Zeke. All right. (laughs) Fall back into what God has done in Christ. Well done, Zeke. If you don't take anything else away from today, take that stupid exercise that is a reminder that God has already, is behind us. We can lean into and fall into what God has done in our personal lives, in our public life together. And for you, as you listen to the rest of this sermon, what does it mean for you to lean in, to fall back, on what God has already done in Christ Jesus. I will say for me personally, one of the challenges, I put down that, this is typical of like my keys and everything else, does it have a clapper? Can I find it? Um, one of the things I was trying to think, well how do I do this, right? I mean, I, I'm a, I should know all this stuff, I've been in church a long time, But I often don't remember my life as Paul tells it here. I often find myself focusing, remembering, rehearsing in my mind the things that I've failed at. Some of them rather spectacularly. That's what I remember. That's what I keep going over and over and over again. That's what I think about sometimes when I'm entering into new parts of my job, or ironically, (laughs) so I was, I'm totally nervous today, right? I always get nervous before I preach, but very nervous today, I've been gone all week, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how this is gonna go. And then I realized, as I was in the bathroom a few minutes ago, I thought, oh, the sermon's about Leaning into what God has done. I wonder how that would apply to giving a sermon. (laughs) Typical, right? I'm focused on what I have to do. I'm going over my notes. I'm trying to figure out how to make this sermon really good and not look like an idiot in front of all of you. Because I think about how I'm going to perform. But that's not what this is about. It's about leaning in that God is already here doing stuff. So I show up and I do my thing, knowing that it isn't actually up to me. (laughs) The actor, the one who's going to make this live, is Christ in you. (laughs) What God has already done. Maybe you rehearse and you remember. Parts of your life that are not so great, that are not about life, that are not about love, that are not about God overcoming all of those dark forces in your life, in your family's life. So today, I invite you to lean into what God has done for you. That you do not have to be burdened by guilt or sorrow or a sense of failure, or a sense of shame, or even anxieties and worries about how you're gonna accomplish all these things. Today, remember that God has done something new. Maybe it's being bullied at school, and that's what you remember. And of course, we get bullied at work too, right? It's just bigger people versions. And that's maybe what you bring into work every day or you go to school thinking, oh, that person's going to do that again or I'm going to do that stupid thing again. There's all kinds of ways we remember untruthfully. So lean into whatever it is and remember your story, each of you, in light of what God has done for you. Now, this part of Ephesians is quite famous um, among many of us. See this part about Gentiles, you were aliens, Christ is our peace. This is a beautiful piece of Ephesians. And often, does anyone know this, Jews and Gentiles, how is this often applied in our era? What's it often applied to in particular, maybe something that Mountainside is particularly um, hot to trot about? seems evident to us. What is this about in our own time? Immigration, so ethnic differences that have divided us, right, I mean, when John was praying, right, about the World Cup, I love that, um, right, he was, he was saying, here's an image of something different, right, this is because so much strife, here it's not strife, it's playing a game. That seems evident to us, this is about a different kind of world in which those kinds of strifes don't exist. What else is it for those of us who've grown up, say, in Southern California or in the United States? What also is this hostility that's grown up in our world? Among peoples. Okay, so in our current era, there's this sense that there are these other groups, even if they're Christians. They're not really Christians, right? Because they're Trump supporters. I said that in church. (coughs) Because how do we divide them? We divide them by how we've decided that they're to be divided. And and that may be closer, actually, to this Jew-Gentile thing than we think. We'll come come back to why this is... uh, So problematic. What are some other ways that Jew-Gentile is understood potentially in our era, these hostilities that have built up? Racialization. Okay, racialization, right? We've divided ourselves this really weird uh, thing that we've decided that the certain physiological topologies are super significant. And so we've decided this is actually how we're supposed to identify ourselves. As a Democrat, as a progressive, as a green, as an American, as someone who's on the right side of the law versus aliens, or even the language, right? Kind of stirs up in us that for many of us it it, it disturbs us because it's so closely connected to some of how we talk about our neighbors, right? And about racialization. So I want to I want to make a suggestion here about how to think about this. Um, to hold off on some of the application for a second, while we meditate for a, a moment on what Paul's saying here. So remember, he's writing this letter potentially to the Ephesians. It's probably a letter that was circulated throughout a lot of the Roman Empire. But there's this weird thing that happens where he says, remember that you were a Gentile. Well, wait, wait, wait. What, what is a Gentile? In Paul's day, what's a Gentile? An ethnos. A what? It was a non-Jew. Remember that you were not Jewish, that you weren't yet a part of this Israel story. Now, if I'm in, here's one of the interesting things. In Ephesus, it seems like, unlike some of the other books, it doesn't seem like there are any Jews in Ephesus. Like he's writing this letter to a bunch of people who are Gentiles. They're they're now are they Gentiles and how they think about themselves? What would it, how would they have described their own what they are? What's their identity? Yeah, I'm Ephesian. I live in Ephesus. How else might they have described themselves potentially? They might have described themselves even as Christians, Jesus followers. Okay, what else? Roman citizens, right? So they would be aware that they had these other identities, right? I'm actually uh, an Ephesian. I'm a Roman citizen who even came to this Christian thing. And Paul says, well, wait a second. Remember that you're actually a Gentile, meaning that you used to be away from this little itty-bitty people, insignificant group of people, not like the Romans. But you were part of this itty-bitty tiny little people called Israel, that God chose to bless the whole world. Now, potentially for Ephesians, this might have been slightly insulting. Who you really are, your main identity is not as an Ephesian, not as a Roman citizen, not as someone who speaks, uh, say, three or four different languages because you happen to be a merchant who travels throughout the Mediterranean. No, 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 no. That's actually not your way of positioning yourself in the world. You know what your position in the world is? You've been taken up into God's really big story about a very small, insignificant group of people who have achieved, next to Rome, nothing. Imagine what that would be like now he says to these people, you, have, you need to re-story, remember your life, not according to all these other things that may want to claim your identity. Maybe, it's in that first part that we looked at, maybe those identities that are trying to claim you is that you're a failure, or you'll never get over these certain things, or you're just angry, or you're a bad parent, or because you're not married, you're a loser or because you're divorced, you're this, or because you're older, you're this, or because you're this color, you're this. All those different things that rattle around in our brains, those are ways of telling us who we are and remembering ourselves. Paul says, no, that's actually not it. What's the only thing that matters for you is that God has taken you and put you into this story in which God has done something radically different in the world, in Christ. That God has overcome every power and principality in your personal life, in your culture, in your society, and it is done. Imagine how for the Ephesians, potentially, that was kind of insulting. Because Paul said it's a gift, you didn't do anything, and, you know, honest. if you were to dig a little bit under me, I'd say, well, you know, I mean, I did make a choice for Jesus, you know, I've made some decisions, I'm trying to live ethically, I teach ethics, right? But Paul here is reminding me, actually, even that stuff, God kind of is doing it all in you. You got nothing to brag about. Now you might want to brag about Jesus and what He's done for you. That you're allowed to brag about, but you're not allowed to brag about saving yourself, right? I mean, how ridiculous you can—this is one of my favorite things, right, about the Christian life. Like, we don't choose to be to be alive again, right? You're not like, "Hey, I'm dead. I'm in the tomb, but I'm choosing to live," you know? Just like in our physical life, we don't choose it. God does it. God breathes on us and gives us new life, and it is pure gift. Now when he says we have made Jews and Gentiles into one group, just as a note, how is this for Jews? It's what? Yeah, so on one hand, you go, oh, this makes total sense, right? This whole Abraham thing was pick an itty-bitty nation, bless the whole world. Makes sense, right? But in practice, here's the problem, you see. They really were different. What made Jews and Gentiles, Jews and everybody else, different from one another? What are some of the things that made them different? They didn't eat the same things, right? You got those pork-eating people. Ugh. So one what else? Worship one god. They what? Worship one god. They do worship the one god meaning that's a similar thing for both of them. Well, they don't. What? No, go ahead, awesome. no. Austin. <laughs> Ponder, keep pondering. So what else makes them different? They follow different laws. Yeah, so there's different parts of the law where not we won't get into that, right? He hints that there's parts of that that have to shift ways what's the law regulate a special relationship is it relationships. social relationships how you move and are about the world if we read leviticus it pretty much covers everything mm-hmm. and part of what paul is saying here is that you see you are actually different people the problem is ephesians were still ephesians they weren't mm-hmm. jews They lived their life, their values had all been shaped as Gentiles, as Ephesians, right? So when we take this text and we say, well, it's just like these hostilities that we face, there is a kind of difference. Because both Jews and Gentiles have to remember their story, reorient themselves in the world by what God did in Jesus to make them come together into what? What's the, what? Do you remember what one of the images are that God has made them into a household? Okay, so I was thinking about this. We love this um, dividing wall of hostility being broken down. But it's more like there's an apartment, right? And you have neighbors, and they're from a different country. Have any of you had friends from different countries, different cultures, maybe speak a different language? That's another thing that's in this, right? Imagine that God comes in and says, okay, we're taking the wall down, and you go, well, that's okay. I still have my kitchen. And he says, No, 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 actually, no. You're sharing the kitchen. You so see, you have one household now. Nobody shares my kitchen, <laughs> right? One of the things that Paul wants. Jews and Gentiles, these peoples who were not and are not exactly like each other, they stay Jews and Gentiles. But God takes down that wall between in their condo and says, now what you need to lean into is that you're going to live together in one house. And that's the reality. You don't have your own house. And there aren't all these multiple houses. But you see what's going to happen? And we'll get to this in 3. In 3, Paul says, I've been made a prisoner because of this. Why? Because this ticks people off. (laughs) Because the world wants us to say, no, no, no. I'm primarily to be understood as a woman, as white, as educated, as accomplished as whatever it is, right? But Paul says, no, no, no. Actually, the significant thing about you is you've been put into a household with a bunch of other people that you wouldn't expect. And you're going to lean into living with these people. And actually, you're not really in control of what happens in the house. I'm making you house into this art piece. Now in a household, how many of you are parts of households of more than one person or have been? Okay, in a household, is everybody the same? Does everybody do the same tasks? No, what's everybody in a household need to do? What? Chores, chores right? Like everybody's got a chore, exactly. Like, it, actually, he mentions the chores. We all have good works to do, right? But they're not somebody else's, they're yours to do. Do you have chores in your house? What's yours? Like, what's one that you have to rotate in and out of? Keeping, cleaning the kitchen? Sweeping the kitchen. I'm going to bring you to my house. We can rotate you right through, add that to the rotation. <laughs> yeah, so in your house, you have a rotation of chores because your household has to figure out, why do you have to sweep the floor? Yeah, you're living together. It gets dirty. Jesus, is, uh, Jesus has done something by making us into one household Nobody else has our particular work. Everybody's got their chore. But the main thing is not that, well, you know, I'm actually not primarily in this household. You see, actually, my primary household is somewhere else. We've only got one household. Or to put it, in it's what seems so obvious, there's only one humanity. In Christ, we as Christians live into the reality there is one humanity. The church lives and leans into the reality that the people that we are with, those people in our lives, our neighbors, are not that different from us. They got their own chores, yes. But we are all human beings called to good work together. That is what we have to remember. And sometimes I worry that we, I think we're good at calling out how other people wrongly remember what household they're part of. I think we're really good at calling out politically when we read the story and we say, you're identifying, you're remembering that you're an American before you're remembering that you are one, you've been made one with these people in other parts of the world because of what God has done in Christ. It's really easy to see that in other people. But it isn't always easy to see how captive we are to another story, to a way of identifying ourselves, in my case, as primarily white, which is this whole other weird thing, right? It's a narrative that I'm supposed to remember and make my relationships with other people as this thing called white, which my Scottish-Irish-Native American family had to learn to be to begin with. And it's a lie. It is not a primary identity. It is not who I am. Not, not as a member of the household of God. What does it mean to look out like Zeke does, right, into a world and we see all the ravages and we continue to see that? and we lean into, fall back into what God has already done. Today, no yabbats. Today, no yabbats. Today we remember that God has broken down every wall of hostility and against all odds Made those people who were totally different from other, as different as Jews were from the Ephesians, has made us one. What does it mean for us to lean into that and not to primarily remember those lies, those identities, those failures, those things that people have put on us that this is really who you are? Because our task together, I think, according to Paul in Ephesians, is that the church is now. We are to live with one another in one household in a way that says to the world, this is what God has done in Christ. This is what God has done. Evil and the powers of violence and racism and sexism and the crap about that's going on with immigration and these nation-states, that does not win. Not here. Not among us. We lean into what God has done in Christ. And any good work we do comes out of falling into the truth of what God has done in Christ. So as we end, I want you to think about what is it, what is the invitation God is giving you? To dance, maybe. What's the invitation that God is giving you today? To fall in despite and remember, like we get to chapter three next week when Paul talks about being in prison. The weird thing is that this great news, this amazing one humanity thing, actually does not go over well. Some of us have a sense of that, <laughs> right? But today the word is lean in. Fall into what God has done and celebrate. So I want you to close your eyes just briefly. So I lead us through a quick prayer to end. Lord, some of us feel dead today, still dead, and we need you to breathe upon us that we might fall into the immense love you have for us. Remind us that there is no power, that there is nothing that you have not overcome. Encourage the discouraged and open our hearts to your spirit that we might live again, that we might breathe freely. For us as a people, you've given us good work to do, hard work in a world of violence and all kinds of terrible things that makes us sad and weighs us down. You've given us a new way to live. You've given us good work to do, but today, help us to lean in and trust that you are more powerful than evil, more powerful than any of the forces we're fighting against injustice in this place and space. May our children grow up and look around this place, our neighborhoods, and see one humanity as a prophetic witness of what you have done and what you will fully do at the end of time. May we grab hold or fall back into that today, that they might know the love, the hope, and the faith that is ours in Christ. Amen. Are we still waiting for some of the little people? littlest people? We can go? Okay. I'm going to give this to the music. So, as we know, one of the main ways we lean into and fall into the love of God every week at Mountainside is that we come to this table. It's a helpless act, it's an act of just receiving a gift, taking in literally that God has done something new in Christ. So I invite you to lean into this table today. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that has broken down the walls of hostility between Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector that's broken down the walls that we see at this table and said, you have been made one in my broken body. So when you take this, remember that this is what Christ has done. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. So when you drink it, remember that God has done something new in me and thus in you and given us life that we proclaim and live until Jesus comes again.